Welcome to the HSCT Warriors Podcast, bringing voice to the journeys of HSCT Warriors Worldwide. I'm Dr. Jen Stansberry Koenig, or Zen Jen, moderator of meaningful conversations and convener of community. As we continue to grow the HSCT Warrior Community, illuminate the invisibilities of autoimmune disease, recognize the possibilities of a future free from disease progression, connect through our shared experiences, and advocate for an inclusive society. I'm so glad you've joined us. Welcome, Jocelyn, to the HSCT Warriors podcast. It's such a pleasure to connect with you. Thank you very much. It's really lovely to be speaking with you. Thank you for inviting me on. Absolutely. So I'd love to hear more about your experience in the UK, mostly with diagnosis of your autoimmune disease for which you are seeking HSCT. I am. And it feels uh, feels like it goes back such a long way now. Um, mm. To give some context that I was diagnosed when I was 22, I'm now 41. Mm. Um, and... I believe I was probably diagnosed quite early. So I don't believe that I've had MS for a long time before I was diagnosed. I probably was having symptoms about eight to nine months, maybe a little longer um, from the time that I was diagnosed because I had um, oh trigeminal neuralgia, which is a pain you never forget. That's the worst. <laughs> it's only, oh boy, uh, it was like I woke up every morning and somebody had hit me in the face with a baseball bat and broken my jaw. It was insane. I wanted all my teeth pulled out. <laughs> um, so I think that was probably looking back something to do with MS, maybe. Um, but my actual symptoms, I didn't know what they were at the time, were um, rushing fizzing sensations down the back of my spine mm. when I tipped my head forward. It yeah. was really specific really specific and in later years I found out oh you know that's a thing <laughs> that's a thing with a with a name that other people have had before but to me I thought wow there's something wrong with my spine sure a bit worrying um but in its own way it's a bit it's a bit minimal it's just odd and it's not a pleasant feeling but I would tip my head forward once and it would be really powerful like whoa that's a real odd feeling down my spine and then I would immediately tip my head forward again just to check it again and it wouldn't happen so it was strange. Um, I, I think, uh, I don't know, I I did seek a bit of um, reassurance from my GP about it. And at the same time, I noticed vision in my right eye just not quite as good. And I felt really offended because I'd had 20-20 vision mm. up until that point. I was like, I'm not, this is not okay. And I can't quite recall it's such a long time ago how this actually became a referral to a neurologist but looking back I think my GP must have been looking at my symptoms and have immediately seen a few links between what can be early signs of MS of course I didn't know sure I got sent to a, a neurologist he was a he kind of brushed it off a bit like he wasn't rude to me um but he was like well you know it might be a little bit of inflammation but you know it could probably go away might go away let's just see what happens and I was like oh 
okay, <laughs> is it my spine? Uh, is something happening with my spine? He was like, no, sure. no, no, don't worry about it. And so it it, it just carried on as it does. Um, this is where it gets a bit hazy because I went through a, a horrible breakup um, at the time. It kind of pulled my life apart momentarily. Like we sure. moved out from each other and it was really high stress which as we all know, great for MS symptoms, isn't it? High stress. Um, And I remember my vision was just, I wasn't happy with my vision. It was just, like I said, it was really not something I felt I wanted to live with, with this sort of vision disappearing. And not, it wasn't even disappearing. It was just not as good. I remember at the gym, I'd be doing something on like a, a cross train or something. And periodically, I would close one eye and then the other one and then the other one going, wow, my vision in my right eye is rubbish. Um, and uh, and finally, I went, I think I might have been to see the same neurologist again. I, I can't remember. But I do remember at one point going to my GP's office and given the idea, I was a bit vulnerable anyway. I've been through this horrible breakup. I had sure. just not been having a great time. And I went to see my GP, who was amazing. I loved her so much. And she was always so supportive. And I was just sitting in her office and I ended up just crying and I don't know what's happening. It's like, is there something wrong with my spine? Is there something wrong with my vision? This feels really horrible. And she, she basically gave me my diagnosis out of compassion I think she went well I have got a clinical letter here from your neurologist in which he says that it's likely that this could be multiple sclerosis but that you quote didn't seem like someone who wanted to know and I was absolutely horrified I was I felt so angry at one side I was shocked because she'd mentioned multiple sclerosis and that only person that I'd ever known about connected to that term was um, when my parents would take me to church when I was really young, like, you know, eight or nine. And there was a lady there who had multiple sclerosis. And I just had a memory of her being in a wheelchair. I thought, what, what, hang on, there's only one person I know and they're in a wheelchair. And it, it was a strange feeling of, I don't know. I, I I don't know. I definitely, and I will get on to this later, but the horrible experience of diagnosis, really, that diagnosis life dropout didn't really happen until 11 years later. <laughs> but at the time, I think I was just in shock. Well, yeah. And, um, I mean, for someone to think you wouldn't want to know an answer oh, or a diagnosis so is amazing to me that a doctor would even frame it that way. Like what we need to keep this a secret I know. from you. And in my fear, because obviously outwardly I was being really like nice to my GP and just because she was so lovely to me. And then at the same time I was firing my neurologist. I was just going, I can't believe that has been conveyed to you like that doctor because all wow. I did was go into his room and just go what's wrong what do you think's wrong I really want to know what's happening and for them that to be turned into nah she didn't really seem like someone who would want to know and all I felt and in that moment and I was young and I was very upset about it I just felt like I had been patronized like a silly little girl mm. by this great great neurologist man who was just like oh pat her on the head she doesn't you know and I know it wasn't like that 
I can look back now with many more years of experience and just have a, an idea why that neurologist would have thought that. It could, I think, be the neurologist party line to some point of them not wanting to diagnose too early. But I was not okay with the fact that I had been described as somebody who didn't seem like they wanted to know. Yeah. And so I said to my GP, please tell this neurologist I'm not going to work with him anymore. <laughs> and, wow. and bless her, she did that. She said, oh, I got a letter of explanation from this neurologist. And then I was just given my new neurologist, who was another uh, male doctor. I'm, I'm only making a point of their gender because... My actual neurologist now is female and she's incredible. But anyway, so I, I think I only saw that other neurologist once. And at that point, I was referred for an MRI scan, which I'd kind of gotten over my shock by then. And I found having an MRI scan quite exciting. Like, oh, wow, I'm having a scan. This is great. <laughs> and I had that scan and they offered me a lumbar puncture. I asked what a lumbar puncture was and immediately said, no, um, <laughs> right. I'll just have a scan. Thank you. <laughs> um, and that got confirmed. And then I got properly, you know, diagnosed. I guess they'd gone through their hoops they had to jump through. And I think I remember one, one visit from an MS community nurse who I'm sure was really nice. I only saw her once, nothing bad to say about her. She came along to see me in my flat. And there was lots of, I seem to remember lots of quite, what seemed to me at the time, really generalized information. And I just didn't really engage with neurology at that time from that point onwards. And pretty much removed myself from engaging with MS. Um, I didn't like the term. I told, of, of course, because it was a huge event happening in my life. I told a number of my friends when I told work, I was like, oh my God, what's happened? And I've just been diagnosed with this thing. And right. I looked it up online. Um, I wasn't massively in denial at that point. I was like, okay, you've diagnosed me with this. And then, of course, I looked online, as you obviously would. Um, and it seemed that it was it, like no one knew anything. It didn't seem, it seemed to be full of, well, we don't really know what causes MS. There's no cure. And we don't, you know, it seemed very like, what do you know about this? Do you yeah. even know this is what I've got? Was one of my thoughts. Um, sure. Yeah. 20 just, years ago, there wasn't a lot out there. No. And the treatments just seemed um, from probably then until now, the only treatment. I mean, of course, I'm speaking with a lot of hindsight and a lot more information that I've gathered, but the I was never interested in medication. I didn't think for one moment anything that they were going to offer me was going to help me. And it was quite a firm decision to come to at such an early stage. But I remember being like, yeah, I'm not interested in these steroids. Mm. <laughs> it was really, I really brushed it off. Um, and I think that was part of my own self-protection. Like, hey, I've looked into this. I think I've made a decision that you don't really know what you're talking about. That's quite rude of me to say that. But at the time, that's what I was thinking. about. Like, sure. you don't really know. I'm not going to be a guinea pig. I don't think what you're offering me is going to help me. Um, and then decided to take the advice of some people that I really trusted. I did um, 
a martial art ninjutsu at the time. And the uh, teacher of that dojo was somebody who I had huge trust in and really, really liked. I told him and he was like, oh, okay, let me write you down some numbers. And he wrote me down the number of uh, a homeopath and he taught Qigong, so I did some Qigong as well, Mm. and also an acupuncturist. And that really made me think, yeah, you know, yeah, I got this. I'm going to, I don't think that the medication, I'm not interested in it anyway. Um, I thought I'll just go the natural route and that makes more sense to me. Um, And I proceeded to have, let's say, another two, I was 22, 23, 24, yeah, another two and a half years of relatively badly managed MS. I had quite some uh, powerful relapses, some of the worst that I've ever had, which I think my worst one was um, complete body numbness. My hands had total spasticity in them. Mm. If I, I remember standing in a standing in a busy London um, railway station and I just bought a cup of tea or coffee and I remember standing there and then just looking at a stall or a shop or something that was in there and I heard the sound of liquid hitting the floor and I looked down and my whole hand is twisted round and oh. hit my tea on the floor oh. <laughs> and it was it was that level of oh my god what yeah. is happening um now I look back, unsurprisingly, at a point where I just um, started university. And I was really excited to be at university doing sound production. But there are also elements of stress about being there, like there always is. Absolutely. And I think that stress, oh, no, I definitely brought on this relapse. Um, and then I decided in all of my youthful wisdom, like, well, I've already booked to go on a snowboarding holiday. So I'll just go anyway. <laughs> I had friends all around me going, you know do you not want to cancel? I was like, no, I want to go snowboarding. And then I went over there and had the worst hand fracture of my entire life (laughs) falling over on. Oh, it was so bad. So that was kind of my, it was, I think I look back and I'm really compassionate towards my young self, just wanting to be normal and do the things that I wanted to do and not let this new thing get in my way. Yeah. But whilst dealing with some of the really disabling symptoms, um, double vision and vertigo and an inability to travel in a car, like my whole world spun around oh, um, wow. and my hands, my hands wouldn't work properly. It was really horrible. And that was, that was in the way that acupuncture really, really helped me. I would have these, terrible relapses um and I think both of the times with the vertigo and the time before when I decided in my wisdom to go snowboarding um my acupuncturist wasn't available so my GP my another GP at the time said well I can give you some steroids and I was like "Mm, okay fine because I can't access my acupuncturist right now it was like over Christmas time I hated the steroids. I hated them so much. They they kind of gave me a weird rash and I felt groggy and horrible on them. Mm. Um, and no, not a fan. They kind of dampened down my symptoms by about, let's say, 10%. And then when I came back from came back from France with my hand broken in four places, my acupuncturist was working again. So I went to see him just like, oh, I had a horrible accident. And he... 
gave me a treatment and within I would say two days my symptoms had resolved fantastic I mean it was magical and I thought I had it in the bag it's like I can live my life like this it's horrible having relapses but each time I'll just go and see my acupuncturist and he'll Mm. fix it um I think I was in a real sense of security with that um and with a vertigo again my this was my lovely trusted GP I saw this time she's like oh look have some kind of like travel sickness tablets I'm sure they get given out a lot and they didn't make any difference like minimal, no difference. And I went to see my acupuncturist and within two days it was gone. It was incredible. I responded very well to acupuncture. So again, that kind of fed into my idea of like, well, I think I know better. (laughs) Me and my me and my little team of natural health, this is going to be fine and I'm going to fix this myself with diet. And I really, really went down that route of, I'm going to do this. I'm going to cut out gluten, cut out dairy. Gave me such a great sense of control. And interestingly, from the point I did cut out gluten and dairy, I never had a relapse of the severity that I'd had before I'd made those restrictions until January last year. Mm, wow. <laughs> that was my, that, yeah, yeah. It was a, a very, very, very long time of I still had some relapses. I still had some symptoms. If I experienced stress, then, you know, all kinds of interesting things could happen, like patches of numbness, um, tinglings, all of the the good stuff, which we all know. I didn't really, I never had a relapse like I had. So it gave me lots of faith that I was doing the right thing. Sure. Um, And I would say it wasn't until... I was about 33 that I had noticed myself getting like a little bit limpy. Um, At that point, I was working, um, doing some kind of cover shifts at the local hospital on the wards as a nursing assistant. So it is just constant walking from the moment your shift starts to when it ends, apart from a few little breaks. I have so much respect for nurses (laughs) who do this day in, day out. Oh my God, it's the hardest physical job I had ever had. So I used to like doing the long shifts because, you know, you might as well get there at eight and stay for 14 hours and then, you know, you've kind of got two days work in one. So I used to do these very, very long shifts. And sometimes I'd notice my back, lower back would get very tight and my walking would feel a bit funny. And But then it would kind of work itself out and it would be normal again. Like I'd walk home from the hospital just like there was nothing wrong. So again, that fed into my idea of like, well, I don't think MS probably behaves like this, so it must be a back issue. And I stuck with the back issue idea for quite a while because one of the symptoms that I had had a little bit prior to this point was again a slight, just a tiny little hitch in my walk, which I didn't like. And I had a really deep, deep tissue massage um, and it went away. Again, feeding into my thought of, no, this is more of a myofascial. Sure. Like I was so heavily invested in it not being MS. I'm like, no, no, this is, there's a way to work with my body to make this okay. And I think by the time I was 33, I was, you know, had more experience. I was older and wiser. Um, it's worth mentioning as to picture my attitude towards MS generally is that when I was about, well, I don't know, probably just after I was diagnosed, maybe when I was about 23, 
I decided to start having therapy for the first time ever. And it was really great. And I really, really liked my therapist. But I noticed how I just couldn't stand her to use the term MS. I didn't like it. I was like, don't, just don't say the words around me. I don't like it. And you must have been like a minefield for her. Um, it's like, you know, your diagnosis. I was like, yeah, yeah, so I can go with diagnosis. That's fine. Um, never, ever, ever. It, it would make me physically flinch if anyone ever said, and she said it once. And then she never said it again. She said, she mentioned your MS. I was like, no. I said, no, this is, this doesn't belong to me. It has nothing to do with me. I, don't, I was really like, this is not, it is my diagnosis. It's not my MS. We will never say that again. Um, and even now, I will never say, never say the words my MS or I have MS or anything like that. I'm like, yeah, I'm diagnosed with MS. I... Yeah, my diagnosis. But I can't, even now, I'm like, oh, it really jars with me. It's like, no, no, don't give it to me as a present. Right, right. <laughs> it's, it's not, not mine. a gift. No, it's not. It's not mine. You can, yeah. So that's kind of where I was with just, I was, it's like, um, it was a physical reaction. Like I was, it, I was repelling it from me, which, you know, yeah, what you resist definitely persists. Indeed. And so I, that that's where I was at the time. Um, but I had got to the point where I thought, okay, I spent so much money on my natural therapies, apart from uh, acupuncture, which has always been top of the tree. I still see him now. He's great. Um, it, it doesn't, unfortunately, it doesn't have the same effect on the MS uh, now as it did. But it does, if I have a severe relapse, it really, really, really does um, help and benefit me like it did last January mm. with my horrible relapse replay that I had. Um, but I thought, no, I kind of need to go and play on some expensive hospital equipment now. I need someone to do an MRI scan to look for my back issue <laughs> that I have. Just like, have a look at me. And I, I was such a kind GP I'd never seen before. And I was saying, well, yeah, I really think there's something wrong with my back. And I think maybe you need to just have an x-ray or I didn't know what I was talking about but maybe like an x-ray or something and she said yeah I'm just going to pop out and speak to one of my colleagues <laughs> where she would clearly have said okay there's this patient here who's diagnosed with MS and she thinks there's something wrong with her back and she's like and she, eventually she came back in and she was so lovely and kind and she went yeah my colleague think it's probably a good idea to also like have an MRI scan just keep an eye on your MS, mm. see what's been going on. Um, they could obviously see from their notes that I had had nothing to do with the NHS for about eight years right. for um, MS. Oh, I was so resistant. and um, so, But then I was just felt really like happy, like, yeah, sure. I felt like I was able to have another MRI scan psychologically. It would be okay. So I had another MRI scan and I then saw the neurologist my current neurologist at the time I didn't know I was very I was quite standoffish very polite and lovely of course but inside I felt like a distance away kind of being like oh you're just another neurologist mm. I don't know how you're going to treat this um and I was also thinking you know I've done so much work on my body and I understand so much about what's going on inside of me and it always was very NHSE which is efficient pretty efficient and um, she wasn't really able to chit chat with me about all the things I thought I had found out about it she just looked at my MRI scan she um, said okay I I think that this is to do with your MS and she didn't because she hadn't I hadn't seen a neurologist for over eight years she did it from the ground up 
asking me about my symptoms. And then she, and I was feeling, I was really struggling inside during all of this. I was really stressed and feeling bothered by the fact that I was having to engage with this whole MS thing again. And she went, okay, will you, will you walk across the room for me? Like, just like toe, toe to toe to toe. Mm. And I did that and I toppled over sideways Mm. and I caught myself on the chair and immediately started crying. (laughs) Really, really crying. I was just like, I couldn't deal with it, with this being pointed out to me that I never used to test myself like this. And she was doing the proper neurology test. I was horrendous. And she then became very, very kind and concerned. She went, oh, no, but why are you, why are you, why are you crying? Which was so sweet now, looking back on it. I think, God, what, why do you think I'm crying? It's like, right. I was just really upset. I was going, this is, this is awful. And I can't walk in a straight line. And I, and this is horrendous to me. I, I was really upset. Um, and I gathered myself and kind of had a normal chat with her. And at which point she was more interested in like, Okay, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna refer you to the community MS nurse, and you can just like have a talk with her. <laughs> I think she just saw me unraveling in front of her eyes, um, and I was so traumatized. I definitely call that that was my diagnosis moment. Sure, not when I was 22, and so ballsy about what I thought was going on. Mm. It was in that moment I felt like everything that I had built up around myself about the control that I felt and kind of still do feel in a way that I had with my change of diet and really cleaning up my act and not drinking alcohol from the age of 25 and all of this stuff um, had just been decimated in front of me. Like mm-hmm. it has made no difference. It has not stopped MS. It is not curing me. And it was awful. Very, very bad moments. Um, yeah, and so that's that's the first half. Well, <laughs> and it's so hard to again, just, yeah, experience all of that and feel as though you have that control, and then that is it was devastating. It definitely what it felt. It put me into a a very interesting headspace where I was kind of functioning just fine. Sure, and at that point, I you couldn't really argue with this. MRI that was going on and the fact that it was clearly affecting my walking which was a big problem for me and looking back I mean the way I am now looking back then it really wasn't affecting my walking much at all but it was affecting it enough you know I'd be able to walk if I start if I walked for longer than two and a half hours my walking gait would start to change a little bit um Boy, what I would do for two and a half hours worth of walking now. Right. What an amazing luxury. <laughs> but at the time, it was it was terrible. It's like when I was 22 and my vision in my eye disappeared slightly. Sure. I found that awful and, and unacceptable. Um, oh, it's worth mentioning as well, way back when my MS was were badly managed, I had some, I had some really full-on optic neuritis attacks. And I went blind in my right eye eventually. Uh, I've regained a lot of vision in my right eye, but it's it's definitely impaired. Um, but no, I went blind in my right eye in one of the attacks. And Terrifying. And then a, about, you know, it was awful. It was really bad. And that came back, half came back with acupuncture. And then um, I did some further work on my optic nerve. This might start to 
stray a little bit off piste right now, but I'll mention it anyway. Um, I had another attack in my left eye, which wasn't at all as bad as the one in my right eye, but it um, made my vision very odd in my left eye. And so with them both combined, I felt like I was going blind and it was terrifying Mm. um and that's when i looked into um natural vision improvement and tracked down someone called mia schneider in the u.s who had used bates natural visual vision improvement exercises to make him someone who was congenitally blind into someone who now holds a california driver's license so i having no idea what to do i just tracked him down like a hound and then went to america and did his I exercise stuff and actually it really, really helps. And I now, yeah, I mean, I don't even, I'm not even given prescriptions for glasses when I go and get my eyes tested. Wow. But I've I've got slightly wonky vision. If I swapped my eyes, that's an interesting concept. If I swapped my eyes with somebody who had 20, 20 vision, they'd be a bit like, oh, whoa, this is a bit, you know, it's a bit different. But it's fine. I drive, it's all not a problem i just can't have a i can't have a warm bath and read a book because within about five minutes sure all of the text starts getting jumbled and stuff but um other than that no so i won't go well into the whole um natural vision improvement stuff but i can't talk about my vision having been so messed up and not put that as one of the reasons why it got substantially recovered um, anyway, <laughs> I just jumped back there. No, but that that's, a, that's an amazing resource to managing so much of what MS brings us for them to know and know, understand it, your experience with it has helped so much. It, yeah, I mean, it was it, it definitely brought back my vision from the from the brink of when I got my eyes tested at that time, because I thought just something was wrong with my eyes. And I was going to have to like, oh, time to cave in and get some glasses, stop being silly. Um, <clears throat> but when they like, tested my eyes, they went, oh, yeah, you're no longer legal to drive. I didn't drive at the time anyway. But just to be told that I no longer had legal driving vision sure. was awful, terrible to hear. I thought, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm going blind. <laughs> it was very, very bad. So I definitely say that the um, natural vision improvement and acupuncture, but the natural vision improvement, um, I I can only speak personally, but it definitely helped me. So I would say, hey, anyone who has optic neuritis, not a bad thing to look into. Just a suggestion. Sure. Well, it's helpful to know that the resource is there. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of one of the, you know what it's like when you're diagnosed with this condition and you try and be so... Um, on the case, you know, doing all the things that you can and maybe changing your diet or looking at natural health options. And you end up with about 25 different things that you've tried. (laughs) And it's only the real ones that have really made a huge difference actually kind of jump out and go, yeah, I have to have to mention that. (laughs) I've tried so many other crazy things that didn't really have any difference at all. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I think from the point I was 33 and when I got brought back into the system, should we say, I then felt that I was being carpet bombed with NHS letters all the time. And I found that really hard as well because I had had nothing really at all to do with the NHS out of choice just because I didn't need to. I felt I didn't need to. Mm. And then all of a sudden I had these letters crisp landing on my mat all the time reminding me, oh yeah, oh God, yeah. Oh, right, I've got MS. I have to deal with this now. 
But I would say in the first few times that I met my neurologist, it, my date's really rubbish. Um, it may have been just after I started seeing her or at the same time, but there was um, more about stem cells just on the general TV um, as a documentary. Documentary that brought me to HSCT, which I shall speak about in just a moment. But um, even at that time, I, I saw my neurologist and I asked her a, a deliberately quite an open question. I was like, oh, so what do you think of stem cells then? I didn't want to make it whether I believed in it or not because I wanted to give her the, enough rope to like hang herself on saying something like, oh, no, they're really dangerous. Sure. Don't go anywhere near them. But instead, her face lit up. And she went, oh, it's what we've all been waiting for. Uh-huh. And then she said, oh, I wrote my dissertation on the stem, stem cells and how they are, you know, could be benefiting. And I mean, she was training to be a neurology consultant. Oh, wow. And I just thought, wow, you're the safest person for me to talk to about stem cells. You are on my happy list. Um, right. Really good. Um, but, you know, it didn't really come up again and interestingly because I had really started to like her she definitely came across to me as somebody who actually cared um whereas the previous two neurologists had seemed a bit more and maybe it's just how I remember them from that time it seemed like they were a little bit more perfunctory about the way they were dealing with me Mm. whereas my doctor this time seemed to really be worried that I had been so long not having any medication for MS. I was mm. like, well, I don't really believe in it. I don't think it really does anything. She was like, well, you know, why don't you just like have a think? And she was so unpushy and so nice. And she seemed so worried. I thought, you know, I like her. Oh, just try medication just for her. I don't want her to worry. <laughs> and oh, so I went wow. to this, um, well, I just thought, you know, what can it, what actual harm can it do? And by the way, Oh, I do know that it can do some people a lot of harm. Right, right. <laughs> but at that time, I was like, well, it might not. It'll be all right. Um, and I went along to some session, which one of the community MS nurses was running about um, beta interferon. I think that's its name, um, about the injections that you give yourself. Part of me thought, because I was working in a homeless hostel at the time, and there's lots of you know drug use and sharp spins around the hostel and things. But in a really silly way, I thought, oh, yeah, you know, I know. I was right. I'll have shots, but in my house, they're in my place where I work. Why don't I just get a shot, but in my house? And I thought it was quite, it would be like quite a cool thing for me to be able to inject myself. Mm. But yeah, yeah, I can do that. I can manage that. I was so wrong. <laughs> I'm not scared of injections. I'm not scared of anyone else injecting me. I'm not frightened of needles. Blood tests are just a thing. They're okay. I learned that injecting myself Mm. is horrendous. I hated it. And I didn't really like having a shot in my bedroom. I didn't really like it. And I I tried it for, let's say, six days. And then I stopped because it had turned me into somebody who, even though I have the diagnosis of MS, I am ironically extremely healthy and I feel healthy I'm really lucky like that. And to take an injection voluntarily that gave me weird flu-like symptoms. It's worth noting, I've never had flu in my whole life. Mm. But I know they were making me feel crappy. And they were saying, well, that's one of the side effects can be kind of flu-like symptoms. And because my having to 
inject myself in the leg was a horrible experience anyway. Um, at one point, I injected into my leg and the next day I had to take the next day off work because it gave me such a ridiculous stage limp. I mm. felt like somebody had stabbed me in the leg. Yes. I was like, I can't do this. This is affecting my normal life too much and it's making me feel like a sick, ill person. And right. I, I'm not down with that. Um, and also I was at the stage of desperately using um, so much energy every day trying to conceal the fact that I had a mild limp. Right. There was so much effort that oh, I had I've to put in my whole body. Yes. Oh, boy. <laughs> Anyone who's tried to conceal a limp from everybody else will realize that you just have to spend so much energy trying to hide it. Um, and really, it's not very easy to hide. And I had some very kind people that, I, that worked with me at the time going like, yeah, we could kind of see you had a limp. It's like, oh, okay, that's pointless. <laughs> but I was really trying to hide the fact that I had a limp. So that's one of the reasons why I didn't go into work the next day mm. because I had the most ridiculous, you know, it was like a comedy limp. Um, and I thought, I can't hide this. This is ridiculous. So I stopped that immediately. And then I cycled, ended up just because, again, my I had got, I had got absorbed back into the system and I had not decided I wasn't going to take this beta interferon. So quite quickly, I was getting a call from the community MS nurse who, interestingly, when she came face to face with me at the door as the new community MS nurse, I was like, oh, I know you. She went, yeah, I know you too. She went, we used to work together, didn't we? It's like, oh, yes, we did. Oh. When I was a nursing assistant, when I was nursing assistant at the ward, I used to do lots of cover on the um, neurology, neurological, yeah, neuro, let's just call it neuro, on the neuro right. ward. Um, and she, she was the ward sister. And I liked her. She was really nice. But it was so strange when in, like, I was desperately hiding this quote-unquote back issue that I definitely believed that I had. And my walking was getting so bad at that point, I decided I could only work with patients with whom you have to work one-on-one with, i.e. sometimes quite a lot of sitting down time sure. and not so much walking up and down the ward, but more like being one-on-one with someone because I had a back issue. And then I saw her and we had quite a nice chat. I went, you know how I... I was so convinced I had a back issue. She went, yeah, I remember that time. I said, yeah, I think looking back, it's probably she went, yeah, it was MS. (laughs) And so I really liked her. Again, because I was surrounded by people that I liked and she was, along with my neurologist, saying, well, look, there's this other medication you can take. I was like, okay, I will try it. But I do not tolerate the situation where I'm having um, injections, side effects. Yeah. I just don't, I don't want it in my life. I will not do it. And also, I don't care about taking medication. I don't think it's actually doing anything. I mean, it might do. It might be doing something, but it's not improving my, it's not doing anything. My, bless my dad when um, my dad's passed away now. But at the time he said, oh, so are you feeling better? It's like, no, it doesn't really, it's not that kind of medication, Dad. Right. It's not a painkiller. <laughs> it's something, you know, it's that, it was that kind of, oh, I'll take it if it doesn't give me bad um, symptoms. And so they got me taking 
they asked if I was interested in tech for Dairy, which at the point was really new in the UK. And then they kind of ended up failing it, not because I had a relapse, but because my um, lymphocytes got a bit out of whack. Sure. And my doctors said, no, 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 you can't stay on that. So I came off that and went on to... Oh, no, or Baggio, that's it. I was just about to call it teriflinamide, oh. but that might have been Tecfidera. I don't know, oh, there are just so many of them. And so I then moved on to this other one, again, which had zero side effects, so I didn't really care about taking it. But then I failed that, if you like, again, because my lymphocytes just took me out of the range at which I could have it anymore. I was like, oh, okay. And I had an MRI scan, and my, my neurologist, bless her, she became a bit worried again. She said, oh, no, 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 you've been having a relapse. I'm like, I haven't. I ha- all this time, I haven't had what I would describe as a, as a relapse of old, where something really bad would go wrong and I would have to ask someone about it. It just didn't, well, I might be having a relapse that you can see on the MRI scan, but I'm not outwardly detecting a relapse at all. Mm. And she was really concerned going, no, 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 this is this is not good. And you have a highly active disease process. I was like, oh, okay. Um, and she said, are you interested in taking, and then she showed me the list of the comfortingly named hard-hitting disease-modifying treatments. Um, out of them, there were a number of them, um, Oh, I cannot remember their names at all. I'll remember it in a second. <laughs> but I picked that one and it took a while for that to start to come through as a treatment for me. So she gave me some steroids to take because she was so worried. I was like, okay, I don't really feel anything, but fine, I'll take the steroids. I did. Um, Ocrevus, there we go. <laughs> that was the name, <laughs> Ocrevus. Uh, oh, finally. Um, and at that time... I'm going to pick up on the HSCT again because this is what we're talking about. Um, in about 2016, there was a, a BBC documentary um, right. called Pan- Panorama, which I think a lot of British people who are know about HSCT mm. probably watched this program. Mm-hmm. And it was called Can You Cure My MS? Um, and it was about the, would have been part of Dr. Burt's trial, I'm sure, part of the international trial this was in around about 2015, 2016. They were running a trial in Sheffield for HSCT. Right, yeah. And they did a whole documentary on it. Now looking back, understanding how documentary making works as well. Of course, they were focusing on the real successes. Sure. And it, they were the patients who responded really, really well. Having the treatment, going in in a wheelchair and leaving walking. You know, that kind of really dramatic dramatic um symptom reversals which uh i think probably made everyone who'd watched the program go oh yes i definitely want to have that and that was my first reaction i was like yeah i'd do that and then just kind of left it a little bit thinking well it's just a trial it will i'll wait for it to come through on the nhs and then i'll definitely have that because that looks like a no-brainer and then I kind of it kind of dulled down a little bit because I thought oh you've got to wait for the trial to come to an end and then kind of loosely followed it just googled it every now and again just like oh HSCT and that's when I saw something that made me feel a bit down for a moment because I thought no this is it stem cells is the thing it just said oh you know it's been found that it's not as effective in people who have been diagnosed for longer than 14 years and I've been diagnosed longer than that and I just felt a little, mm. uh, just really down, actually, for a short while, just going, oh, 
that was one of the things I really wanted to do. Oh, okay, okay, it's okay. Stem cells are really on the scene now. There will be something for me. This is okay. Um, and it's such a shame at that point that I allowed these news reports. And I think it may be on the MS Society, the UK one, I think, the Society website. It still says something about how it's not really effective for people who have been diagnosed longer than this point. And now it makes me really angry. I'm like, why, if I had read that nothing about it not being effective for people beyond this certain point, then I might have carried on pursuing it and I might have had it by now. But I kind of thought, well, I'll wait. And I spoke to my neurologist and said, okay, that's when I was looking at Ocrevus. I then on the MS Society website, which I, which by the way, I never really have ever really hung out there. But because my GP went, hey, look on the MS Society website and check out these these medications and, mm. and decide which one you want. Love being able to pick my own medication. So, yeah, just have a, decide for yourself what you want to do. So I picked Ocrevus and I saw HSCT. I was like, oh my goodness, this is an NHS treatment now. I didn't know it had become an NHS thing. Um, so that's the first thing I asked her. I went, look, why can't I have, can I have HSCT? When you can, if you, all you need to do is fail one of these. I was like, okay, hook me up and let me fail. <laughs> and so that's what I did. I had a sort of octopus infusion. Again, kind of novelty, going into hospital, having an infusion, you know, just doing what I had to do. All of this time, um, by the way, it's worth saying that me and my disability was the real character in the background of this so it's gone from me having a limp that I was just trying to hide to me kind of walking along the road and maybe and touching the wall every now and again mm-hmm. not a little like I was so drunk I was like touching the wall every now and again just to like orient my where I was you know and that's the point and it was such a big deal and I'm sure there are lots of people who also feel this I tripped up a couple of times as well and fell over, which is horrendous, so horrible in public. And I had decided, um, along with the experience of maybe I'd get the train to London every now and again, which was about 50 minutes. And if you can't get a seat on the train for any reason and you appear to be a young, healthy person, you just stand. Right. You just stand up the whole way. And there was absolutely no way I could do that anymore. And I thought, I'm going to have to suck it up. I'm going to have to buy. I'm going to have to buy a, a walking stick of some kind. And it was so hard for me to do that. And it's it's a real big deal, isn't it? When you first you kind of out to yourself mm-hmm. to everyone around you as someone who has a disability. And I immediately did get a lot of. Um, positive life feedback shall we say put it this way I got on a train with that walking stick which I did not like at all I bought one that I could fold up and put away in my bag I was so ashamed yeah I was so ashamed isn't it crazy how you can get ashamed about something which is out of your control not your fault I was so embarrassed and so I had this walking stick but I never waited more than 30 seconds after getting on a train for someone to give me their seat and I thought, you know, for all of the fact that I hate being out here as a disabled person and I feel so self-conscious, this is what I need. Um, so that was kind of me breaking myself into mobility aids. 
Um, and I slowly had to. I've been like, um, I imagine myself almost like a donkey being dragged along <laughs> with, through with a harness with its with its hooves just buried in the ground in front of it, just like just come, just come on a little bit further. Like, no, no, I won't do it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want this. I don't want that. And just, I just drew. I have to ask myself the question. So um, you are allowed to carry on falling over in the street and you are allowed to carry on breaking bones uh, if you like, or you can get a hiking pole to walk along with mm-hmm. and you can use it all the time, wherever you go, not just occasionally when you're getting on a train, you, you could, it's up to you. I always used to take that tone with myself. You can fall over as much as you like. Right. Lovely. You can do it. It's fine. <laughs> but I think I've, Slipped over in a swimming pool and broke a rib. I had so, I had I had quite a few fractures on my way to accepting that maybe I did have a mobility problem. <laughs> it took a while, but I was like, no, I need to sort this out. And so eventually, after falling over again and um, breaking a bone in my hand, everyone's going to think I've broken every bone in my body. I haven't quite. But I have had lots of horrible hand fractures from just trying to save myself when I fall. Sure. And I think at that point, I went to I went on a trip to the States to just with my husband and to meet some of his family out there. He's got lots of family who live in the States. And um, I was in New Jersey and I really wanted to go to New York to go and you know, like look around. By that point, I was walking along with my hiking pole under slight mental duress. But I thought, no, I have to use this now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember us walking through a park in New Jersey, might have been at that point. And I found it so hard to walk. And I just, okay, I was walking along like I was in pain. I wasn't in pain. I, I'm somebody who fortunately has no pain from MS symptoms at all. But it it was so much effort. It kind of, you could be... Um, you could have been forgiven for thinking I was somebody walking along with great pain. And my husband was so kind. He was just like, Do you know, he was just looking at me walking and, you know, we can't go to New York City if you're like this. This is, this is, it's going to be horrible for you because he'd been there a number of times. He's like, this is not, this is not going to be fun for you. And I was really like upset going, no, but we can, we can just get taxis everywhere. And he was like, look, Jocelyn, just picture yourself in London. And you know how horrible all of the main tourist places are in London, like Piccadilly Circus, Buckingham Palace. Well, they're not horrible, but they're still like lots of people go there. How much would you feel you would have enjoyed London if you just got a taxi from Piccadilly Circus to various other places? That's what it would be like in New York and you wouldn't be able to enjoy things. And I, I cried for a little bit and then I just sat down and I had a, I had a can of Coke <laughs> and we sat there and he said, look, and he laughed a bit. Not it, That makes him sound really bad, but I well calmed down by that point. And he laughed and I said, no, what are you laughing? I just went, oh, he went, I just was thinking how you would react if I mentioned any kind of wheeled device. And mm. I was just, I laughed as well. And I went, and I felt a huge wave of relief that Kieran, my husband, Kieran, had said that to me because so much of my issues, terrible, terrible shame around the idea of having a disability is how 
how unfortunate he must feel. This is such nonsense, but I just made it up in my mad head. How unfortunate he must feel to have married someone that he knew was diagnosed with MS, but outwardly was perfectly able-bodied and fine, like completely invisible to this somebody hobbling along with a stick and that I couldn't, I was so resistant to the idea of any wheeled anything that I, I just couldn't really cope with the idea. Wow, Jocelyn really offers so many details that are so familiar in her journey with multiple sclerosis and how she dealt with her diagnosis. In order to honor all that she has shared, we are splitting this interview into a two-part episode. And so next week, the second half of the conversation with Jocelyn will continue and pick up right where we're leaving off. And I hope you'll join us next week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Be sure to visit our website where you can find notes from today's episode, submit ideas or feedback, and connect with resources and the HSCT Warriors Incorporated nonprofit. As always, special thanks to musical genius Billy Alitzauser for sharing his superpowers to create the soundtrack, edit and produce the audio to make this podcast possible. You can find us both when you subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. It has been so great to connect with warriors worldwide, and we would love to hear from you about how the podcast has helped your journey with autoimmune disease. Take a moment to connect with us online, on Instagram, or share this episode with someone you know that would enjoy listening. In the meantime, we hope you'll tune in next Wednesday for another episode highlighting another warrior. Until then, be a snowflake and embrace your superpowers. Be kind. Be well. Jen Stansberry Koenig and the producers disclaim medical influence and responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. If you think you have a medical problem, please contact a licensed physician.